Hello, everyone. It is our greatest pleasure to welcome you to the very first episode of the Our Canon is Bigger Than Yours pod. My name is Mickey, and my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Vadisha, pronouns she, hers. Big shout out to my art history summer course for teaching me the term canon, which I'm going to teach you right now. The canon is the body of works that scholars and the public agree belong to a particular medium, genre, or category of artistic work. It's basically what we think of as correct or good art. But we have a problem with this term. This canon as we know it typically privileges white, American, cis, straight, male voices and actively silences everyone else. We're not that and we want to change it. Though we unbashedly love every John Hughes film, as Bong Joon-ho says in his Oscar speech for Parasite, getting over that one-inch tall barrier of subtitles is all we need to be introduced to a whole new world of great art. Join us as we ask questions about American movies and music that we've loved since we were kids, and delve into the art of our own cultures and those around the world. Today, the first medium that we're going to be tackling is film. And more specifically, we're going to be discussing two movies that are super close to our hearts. The first is You've Got Mail, Nora Ephron's 1998 rom-com, and The Lunchbox, an Indian film by Ritesh Patra. They're both movies about being seen and learning to love through words alone. They're particularly poignant now in the time of COVID-19, as they remind us that though our avenues may feel limited, getting to know and love the people in our lives remains as puzzling and glorious through written letters or Zoom screens as it is in person. So You've Got Mail uh, is a 1998 romantic comedy featuring Meg Ryan as Kathleen Kelly, an owner of a very small and charming bookstore called The Shop Around the Corner. And we got Tom Hanks as Joe Fox, the multimillionaire capitalist owner of a big bad chain store called Fox Books. Very patriarchal, very bad. And it is poised to put Kathleen Kelly out of business. Um, so I'm 19 years old, and for the past 19 years, I've been watching this movie completely uncritically. It is my favorite film of all time. Can watch it three times in a day. <laughs> and while I'm not really ready to give that up, I think Vadisha is going to give me a run for my money and force me to. But, but I have to say, though, yeah. I absolutely loved watching it with you. <laughs> it was like the best two hours of my week. It's so good. The script is just so clean. And, like, there are no loose ends. No, like, it's so satisfying to watch. Every single, like, piece of dialogue just, like, comes perfectly full circle. That it's just, like, so good it's almost painful. It it makes me, like, you know when you watch a bad movie and you're like, oh, well, movies are really hard to make. You know, you kind of forgive it in that way. In, in the back of my head, it's always like, but you've got mail is perfection. <laughs> Nora Ephron uh, did that multiple times <laughs> honestly though honestly it it's a movie I feel like with this movie would I would call it a romantic comedy more so than the lunchbox but um I I feel like a lot of times romantic comedies are specifically targeted at women but I feel like this movie is so universal like it because it spends a lot of time on Joe Fox's perspective um I would say that kind of just the overall feeling that I get from this movie is like once it's over I feel like I can get whatever I deserve like both Kathleen Kelly and Joe Fox just like switch up their whole lives to follow their dreams and there's just something so magical about it yeah how did the movie make you feel when it ended like it ended perfectly and it was like somewhere over the rainbow was playing as they confessed their love for each other it was just yeah. perfect and like that 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 scene and scene before where they both kind of hated each other but like we're sitting back to back in the coffee shop uh, it was uh, uh, perfection they were like enemies perfection. but they were soulmates and they didn't know it perfect uh, i think about it all the for, time <laughs> for our listeners hey yeah, let, let's give a little rundown of the plot 
just like a brief and I mean we've already spoiled <laughs> ending, but but yeah, for some context. So when when we begin, Kathleen Kelly and Joe Fox are I sometimes will use Joe Fox and Tom Hanks interchangeably, and I'm not changing that about <laughs> myself. Um, but anyway, Kathleen Kelly and Joe Fox, they're both in relationships that seem perfect. Joe Fox is with this hyper professional, very career driven woman who's frankly terrifying. Joe Fox says that she makes coffee nervous. Also, for our listeners, Dave Chappelle is in this film. He's like splattered and about in the most random parts. It's borderline racist, <laughs> but also he has some of the most memorable lines. It they kind of are just like they make him say stereotypical black things. Like, he mentions that Joe Fox is sending Kathleen Kelly back to the crack house and like, Section 8, basically. And when you watch it uncritically, you're like, wow, Dave Chappelle, the comedian. And then you think about it for, like, one second, and you're like, this is kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like all the all the things that these writers want the white people to say, but, like, they're like, maybe that'll come off as racist. So let's just have Dave Chappelle say it. Like exactly, exactly. And Dave Chappelle is basically the assistant to Joe Fox, the multimillionaire white man, which there's a lot to unpack there anyway. We'll get to um, it. We'll get to it most definitely. Well yeah, we'll get there, we'll get there. And so it begins in this beautiful scene where Kathleen Kelly's boyfriend is talking about like how much he hates technology and Joe Fox's girlfriend is like rushing to get out and making him go to this black tie event. And at the moment that their partners leave, they hop onto the computer, they dial it up, like with real ass dial up sounds, like the <laughs> noises. And then they hear those three magical words. You've got mail. There it is. And basically the whole premise of this film, they're star-crossed. He's the big bad chain store. She has the very independent bookstore. He puts her out of business. And... There, it's like just wrapped in all this dramatic irony because they're pen pals via email and we know that. And then there's this extra layer of dramatic irony when Joe Fox figures out that his pen pal is Kathleen Kelly. Kathleen Kelly. I was about to say Meg Ryan. <laughs> and, and, and so then we're like, we know that Joe knows and we know that Kathleen doesn't know. And after he puts her out of business, he makes a genuine effort to be her friend. And we also know that there's a little bit of manipulation in that. Because I he would knows say a lot of over... manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. In rom-com universe, this is, it's not that This bad. is like it's... the diet version. <laughs> It honestly does he low-key force his way into her apartment sure does he kind of break in yeah <laughs> but does she also clean up all of her gross nasty tissues before he comes in to make a good impression sure more on that, uh, that... dynamic later but <laughs> yeah more, more on that dynamic later but but anyway so he he genuinely does make an effort to be her friend yeah and and you can kind of tell like to joe fox's credit in this 1990s rom-com you can tell that he doesn't expect anything to come of this yeah like he knows this is a long shot he even says but sometimes a guy can't get what he wants and the best way to describe this film is just hijinks ensue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hijinks ensue in this story. And Kathleen and Joe just get closer and closer and they fall in love. It's, it's pretty much as simple as that. But, you know, I, I feel like it's a movie that contends with what you should want out of love. Whether you should look at a partner and look at them for their resume as a partner, like what their characteristics and how they match up with you, um, or whether you should look at what you truly know about them. Um, it contends with how do you get to know somebody? It contends with the limits of forgiveness and allowing yourself to dream of something better. And I think that kind of flows right into the lunchbox. That really does. So the lunchbox similarly is about getting to know someone online, not online, but through letters, just through like 
the words that you write to each other. It's a movie about the cycles in our lives and the little big things that break them. Taking place in Mumbai, India, the story revolves around Ela, a homemaker stuck in an unfulfilling marriage, and Sajan, a widower headed for early retirement. Their relationship slash situationship, <laughs> I don't know how to define it, developed over these notes that they exchanged through the infamous lunchbox delivery system in Mumbai. So mm-hmm. the filmmaker Ritesh Batra, he was initially researching this like foolproof network of workers who basically get hot meals like that someone's wife makes or some made at home or from restaurants to people at work for a documentary. So he was like researching a documentary, but then I guess like sparks flew, he got this idea and he decided to develop it into a drama instead. Yeah. So I, there's just something like so magical about it. It's like I know. you the lunch you make at home just somehow makes its way to a specific person, not even just to a workplace, but directly onto somebody's desk. I can see how that definitely yeah. inspired ideas yeah and it's like known to be a system that is completely foolproof like harvard Mm -hmm. did a study on it about the ways that the lunch boxes are color coded and sent to specific locations on the city in like the city and the city is huge i'm telling you like but Mm -hmm. yes the two main characters ila and sajan they meet through like a glitch in this system so like there was a mistake and ila's lunchbox gets delivered not to her husband but to sajan who's like a clerk in this office kind of a boring job and they form this relationship just purely out of the food that Ela makes for Sajan and the notes that they write each other that are left in the lunchbox so they get to know absolutely no specific details about each other but somehow just know their most intimate like hopes desires worries fears for the future and yeah that's their relationship I mean even like the first like big thing that they share is Ela shares that her husband is having an affair and Sajin this complete stranger who she doesn't even know his name is the first person to know about that yeah I think that's that's so powerful definitely I know and like the scene when she finds out that her husband who is an absolute asshole by the way fuck that guy we don't like him Rajiv no Rajiv is the (laughs) least valuable player in this whole film (laughs) he's like he's the reason why Ela, who's like a homemaker, she's so discontented with life because he does not give her any attention, does not care about her like ideas, hopes, dreams, anything. He's just like, he comes home, eats food, goes to bed. And apparently he's having an affair, so. Yeah, and um, it, it's kind of important to note that the very first lunch that Ela sends to what she thinks is going to her husband, she makes very, very specially. We see her in the film put so much love and care into the meal because she's trying to like re-spark the marriage through food. And he comes home and she gets so dressed up. This woman looks beautiful. And the lunchbox, yeah, straight up. And the lunchbox comes back completely empty. And she's but like, it was like completely yeah. empty. It was like, yeah. And it was like, wow, he really enjoyed it. And then yeah. she asks him, so like, oh, did you enjoy it? Like, and he was like, yeah, it was all right. That's all he says. But yeah. then she asks him, like, she asks him specific questions and quickly figures out that, like, he did not get the box that she made. Yeah. Because we see her make, like, every little thing. And then he's like, the cauliflower was all right. And then we're like, <laughs> she, Wait, she did not make cauliflower. <laughs> definitely definitely um yeah I I would say like the main connection between these two movies you bring it up really beautifully in your um introduction is that they technically don't learn any specific details of each other in either film Kathleen Kelly and Joe Fox make a very like they repeatedly say it like no that's too personal but when it refers to like specifics about her business and specifics about her name and things like that but like you said, in both films, they learn like the deepest feelings about each other, which is, I don't know, I just think it's pretty powerful. And it is um, so interesting, yeah, because like, jo- like though Kathleen and Joe like knew each other in person and kind of hated each other, they were still mm-hmm. so compatible in an intellectual and emotional sense because I guess the manicured or I guess the aspirational self that they presented to each other through their through the mail basically 
was I get was what formed that connection between them. Which makes you think mm-hmm. about like what it what what actually makes you connect with people? Is it is it your personality bare or is it your hopes, dreams and aspirations that you distill in like a letter or art? Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think about that a lot, especially now in like COVID-19 when we're recording this podcast online and um, we both had some experiences dating online and you, I've thought about it a lot, especially because I don't, I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I've used this time of like being alone to really reflect on who I want to be. And I saw this quote on Twitter that I thought fit into this conversation really well, where it's like, stop bonding on your past and who you are right now and start bonding on who you want to be and your aspirational self like like you said and I think that's really powerful and I think you're right in that I think that's what comes across in a letter is who you want to be yeah and not necessarily because when you're in person or you know someone in person you present yourself with your past and like all that context but in a letter, you don't really have to explain all that much. You're just writing about the future or the present in a lot of ways. I um, The specific example from You've Got Mail that I just thought of while you were saying that is when Kathleen Kelly and Joe Fox meet for the first time, he comes in with his brother and his niece, who it's a very comedic moment because they're very, very, very much younger than him. But he's buying books for them in Kathleen Kelly's bookstore. And they meet and he doesn't reveal his last name because it's pretty obvious that he owns the bookstore. And it's funny that you bring up that like when you're in person, you reveal the past because she immediately shares this very personal story about her mother who is deceased and has been for a very long time. And she doesn't reveal any of that stuff in the letters like that. Well, she eventually reveals that her mother died, but like the very specifics and that kind of thing. And I feel like they get to know each other less in that moment in person than in all of their emails you know yeah and it and that was that central relationship in you've got mail is what initially made me so like made me have such an emotional reaction to the movie even though Mm -hmm. I guess my like my other like rational slash intellectual side of my mind was like that Joe Fox, you're manipulative. But... <laughs> yes, yeah. And you represent capitalism, but like the like yeah. the purity of that relationship that they develop over mail because it's just like it's so pure because there's this one scene when Kathleen Kelly finally gets to say this she's like not a mean person, but she finally gets to say something cruel to Joe Fox and he totally deserves it. But then yeah. Joe, like you can tell in Joe Fox's face that you know she regrets it because she shared that earlier yeah. in a in a letter where she was like, "Every time you say something cruel to someone, um, there's always that moment right after where you feel remorse that yeah. kind of takes away the power of that cruelty." So yeah. and and shout out to Meg Ryan because she absolutely sells it because she she ends that statement. I remember it so well. For the listeners, I've watched this movie probably hundreds of times. <laughs> and um, and she ends it with, um, you, Joe Fox, are nothing but a suit. And it hangs in the air for just a moment. And you can just see on her face that she instantly regrets it. And like you said, it, she brought that up earlier and they talked about that. And it's like that intersection between who you are in the letters and who you are in person. Because I don't think that they're completely separate people, but they, I feel like that intersection is messy. I think it's really, really messy. And I think that comes up in the lunchbox a lot. Well, it comes up very suddenly when they Uh arrange to meet and you see Sajin and you're seeing Ela wait at the table and you're like, where is he? Why is he not coming? And on the way there, you get all of this like very visual storytelling about like how people are seeing perceiving him as very old and then you're like and then he doesn't show up and he reveals later that it's because he realized that he's too old to dream which goes into like all the big themes about dreams that I'm sure we'll get into but for me what I felt that scene really showed is that in these letters 
we know it's an aspirational self, but he almost took it one step too far, where he started to believe that that aspirational self was who he was right now. And it was like that reality check of like, mm-hmm. he's not that person. He is an old man, even though we don't really read him as an audience as that old. And I think in You've Got Mail, it comes up. I mean, it's the whole conceit of the film is that is that the real Joe Fox is a multimillionaire capitalist pig who just <laughs> who just got who just took away Meg Ryan or Kathleen Kelly's biggest like lifelong tradition that was literally yeah. her mom's bookstore and she had so much love for it she yeah. brought this younger generation into reading because of like the little reading parties that she would have mm-hmm. and yeah. Joe Fox is the one that took that dream away from her and like how do you bridge that yeah. How do you bridge that treachery? Yeah, I mean, that goes into forgiveness. Because, I mean, Joe Fox puts it really, really, it, I mean, it's meant to be comedic at the end, but it's almost bittersweet when he asks her, how can you forgive this guy for standing you up, but not forgive me for putting you out of business? And he says, this tiny little thing of putting you out of business, which obviously is ironic because it ruins her whole life you know? And it was actually the very first question I wanted to pose to you, Vadisha, where if you were Kathleen Kelly, you are this white woman who owns this very charming bookstore. And and the perfect ability to wear white blouses with cardigans. With different colored cardigans. (laughs) That's going to be my outfit for the rest of the year, I'm telling you. Yes. As soon as it's sweater weather, I, I am going to expect to see you in a lot of white blouses with colored <laughs> cardigans. <laughs> um, um, but if you were Kathleen Kelly, do you think you could have forgiven Joe Fox? I think I would have forgiven Joe Fox. Because I think Joe Fox is an interesting character because he works kind of in the way that I think society works and like I guess capitalism works in some ways where you buy into these things and these fantasies and you forgive these like larger systems, even though you know you shouldn't because you're just conditioned to do so. Because like Joe Fox, he basically took Kathleen Kelly's dream away, but she ends up wishing that he was the one who would come. Like she's, she literally says that like, oh, I was like, I was hoping that it was going to be you. So it's kind of like, a weird manip- like a self-manipulation where she she does where she kind of ends up loving the thing that took so much away from her and I almost think mm-hmm. that it's a way like it's like a coping mechanism almost where yeah. you kind of have to love because like if if you don't then you're going to end up hating or just end mm-hmm. up with too much resent in your body yeah it's interesting that you bring that up because if you if you do think of Joe Fox as a representation of capitalism and Kathleen Kelly, well, I mean, she's still a capitalist. She still runs a business. Yeah. But if you, if you think of her as like antithetical to big business and all that kind of thing, it, it is interesting that she ends up falling in love with him. Yeah. And that she does forgive him. And I wonder if it plays into this idea that, like, neoliberal, not to, like, throw out, like, catch, catchy Our words like that. favorite words. <laughs> but a buzzword. But um, that neoliberal idea that capitalism is inevitable. Yeah. That, that the big business will always put out the small one. That the Joe Foxes of the world are not bad guys. They're just more successful than the rest of us, you know? Yeah. And maybe if you hope one day you'll be a Joe Fox. That's interesting. And obviously the film does not posit this or even deal with this at all. But it's kind of implied that they're going to be in a long-term relationship. And something that I thought about is that now Kathleen Kelly has essentially married into this multi-millionaire family. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... If you want to look at it as as like a as like a commentary on capitalism is that it will eventually convert us all and eventually develop everything. Um I don't know. I it's I think the film is self-aware of this too. Like I don't think it's just a audience reading of 
what capitalism is. I think that the one scene that stands out to me is like when Birdie, when Kathleen Kelly just loses her bookstore, she goes to this other old character named Birdie and they talk about what they've lost. And Birdie's like, at the end of like her monologue, she's just like, yeah, so I married um, a Spanish fascist at the end of the day. <laughs> and these are like one of the many like political references and jokes that just get splattered across the movie that like don't make sense to begin with. But like when you when you read it this way, it does, because mm-hmm. like Kathleen Kelly's biggest inspiration or like her rock, I guess, this character is like definitely the person she relies on. Um, mm-hmm. She's the one who also like ended up marrying a Spanish fascist dictator person who like um, caused the government coup. Like, so I I do think that the film is self aware about the fact that like Joe Fox is kind of this figure that is supposed to pull in Meg Ryan into his world and she kind of loses a bit of her autonomy because of that she at the end of the day she does she does learn that she wants to dream more than her bookstore but that I feel like that is the one of the storylines that kind of is like left hanging we really don't know like what she wants I mean no she does become an editor but we don't really see that come full circle definitely it kind of raises another question that I think is present in both films is that in both of the films, our main characters are females and they are both facing some sort of patriarchal oppression in some way because the Fox mm-hmm. bookstore is inherently patriarchal. His grandfather owns it, then his father's running it, and then Joe Fox will eventually run it. And yeah. there's the whole idea in Ela's world where she must serve her husband and cook food for him every day and we see that in her mother taking care of her father until his death and her auntie taking care of her uncle until his well he's in a coma and she just takes care of him and her whole life is about taking care of these men Mm -hmm. and I saw in the movie that I feel like the women in both films have to go through a lot Kathleen Kelly has lost her mom she has lost her bookstore She's lost, ev- she loses her boyfriend, although that is an autonomous choice. It, yeah. She still they loses both, that. Mm-hmm. They and, lose that stability. Yeah. And, and like, Ela's losing a lot, too. She loses mm-hmm. her, she knows her husband is being unfaithful. She's kind of trapped in this cyclical aspect of life where there seems to be no sunny days whatsoever. At the end of the movie, she also loses her dad. And it's a really touching scene where she, like, she and her mom are mourning, but her mom is just like, um, I'm kind of happy that he's gone because every day I look at him and I do the same things over and over again for him, but I look at him with disgust. And that was, that was such a raw, painful scene to watch because it's clear that her mom loved her dad, but like, where do the lines of love and disgust kind of blend together and they blend together because of like the very cyclical aspect of life where you kind of have to do the same thing over and over yeah definitely I I feel like I think we also see that you've got mail um the opening scene is them is both Kathleen Kelly and Joe Fox going about their daily routine in New York City whereas Mm -hmm. they go they leave they get ready they well, they email each other in the morning and then, and then they go get Starbucks. Both of them go to the same Starbucks and they both run a business where you go to the same place every single day. And throughout the movie, we see Kathleen Kelly questioning why she's doing this, mm-hmm. why she goes to work every day and opens the same bookstore and does the same thing. And she asks herself whether it's because she really wants to do it or because she's scared to do something else. Mm-hmm. And in both films, Ela, she decides to throughout the movie, she she introduces this idea that she wants to go to Bhutan where they have no gross domestic product, <laughs> just gross, gross nat- national happiness. And Kathleen, hmm? we love that. Yeah, honestly. And so they both eventually follow their dreams in a way, but they have to lose everything in the process. Yeah. And the men in these films, I feel just kind of like to go back to the question I was going to ask, don't really 
he go like lose a lot like prior yeah. to the film Sajan has lost his wife and Joe Fox eventually loses his girlfriend but again that's by choice and I don't really I, I feel like my ideas on this are only half baked at this point but I just feel like I just feel like it's sexist <laughs> it feels sexist in a way uh -huh. and I can't I don't know if you have thoughts on this, why the women in these films go through a lot more than the men dur through the duration of the film. I think I think they both the films have different takes on the same ideal. I think you've got male in particular. Joe Fox doesn't need to change because Kathleen kind of like blends into his world. Like he doesn't have mm -hmm. to make a compromise or lose anything. Well, perhaps he's more emotionally open now and learns like, learns i guess intimacy from kathleen but then again that's the trope of like this vibrant young woman teaching yeah. this awkward dude this like, like callous old man not old man but just like the woman softening the man yeah and making him a better person but he's still mm -hmm. the owner of fox bookstore um so i think that I think that in You've Got Mail, it is definitely a little sexist that we see Joe Fox as, like, the thing that Meg Ryan or Kathleen Kelly has to, like, morph into. She has to morph mm -hmm. into his world, so her entire, like, the, her character arc is so, I think she loses a lot in her character arc mm -hmm. at the end. Um but I think with the lunchbox, it's a little more complicated, mm. I think, because Sajin, at the end of the movie, like, at the beginning, he stopped smoking because Elo was like, oh, my dad had cancer because of this. So, and then he makes a conscious effort to stop. But then we see at the end of the film that he kind of goes back to it. Mm. So... I don't know. I feel like his win is smaller because I think he is someone who's at the at the closing chapters of his life, but his the thing that he won was that he was able to break the cycle even just for a short period of time and that itself was a win for him. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what are your thoughts? Well, with the lunchbox, I would kind of argue that it, it mirrors a lot of the same tropes mm -hmm. in a way. I, I think the ending is where these two movies diverge, definitely. Yeah. But Sajan benefits from Ela being in his life, and he makes mm -hmm. all those positive changes that you mentioned. And yeah. he, even, he even begins to connect more with his wife, like his deceased wife, by watching the, mo the shows that mm -hmm. she would always watch. Yeah. And... So we're kind of falling into the same thing as like the the man is becoming softer and more emotionally intelligent because of the woman. And I think when Sajan does not go to meet Ela, it is his rejection of her, not like romantically, but mm -hmm. the rejection of her in his life. And then he goes back to his old ways. Yeah. And so I agree that Sajan doesn't gain anything like Joe Fox does. But it still kind of mirrors this idea that he does need a woman in his life to make him mm -hmm. better. Yeah. It is, I, like, the the end of the movie always surprises me because I still don't know where exactly it's going. We know Ela takes her daughter and they move to Bhutan, but what happens to Sajan? We see him on the train, we see him go back and forth, but we really don't know where he goes his story is kind of a question mark yeah definitely i think that so for our listeners if you haven't watched both of these films um which we definitely recommend you do absolutely um, they, they're both amazing in their own ways the you've got mail is very very dialogue heavy and is absolutely like there's definitely visual storytelling but it's very reliant on its script whereas yeah. the lunchbox highly visual and there's a lot of moments where when Venetia and I watched it together, we were almost a little confused as to what was happening. Yeah. Um, so I think the lunchbox acts more out of you as a viewer. But this is all to say the ending of the film is almost completely silent. 
we I think the last thing we hear is Ela reading the letter that she may or may not have sent to Sajan. And then we it, we get this shot, which has stuck with me. I, I've thought about it a lot, where throughout the movie, many times we see Sajan smoking his nightly cigarette on his balcony and staring at this very lively family. And the the first time it happens, the youngest it appears that the youngest daughter of the family closes the blind and is like, ooh, the creepy man's staring at us. <laughs> and then and that's because and that's because during the day when they would play like their little game, he would be really um mean to them. He yeah, he would take their like when their <laughs> when their ball just goes flying into his balcony, he's like, I'm not giving it back. You need to you need to leave. But Yeah, in this last shot, the light from his house is behind him and it's very very blue cold light and almost in this like unnatural way the light from the back from the window downstairs is reflecting onto Sajan's face illuminating his face in this like orange warm light and then he sees the girl and this time the girl waves and well obviously as we've stated it's very ambiguous where this goes it's strangely hopeful for yeah like the the story says that he goes back to his old ways and like he's smoking again and he stayed in his house when he was previously planning to travel but it feels hopeful doesn't it Mm -hmm. yeah I think it to me that scene really drove home the point that if you let a little light in it kind of stays with you and I think that his relationship with Ela was kind of that little light that Mm -hmm. showed him that it's possible to be emotionally connected to someone despite what's happening in your life and if even if it didn't make him change the course of his life he's Mm -hmm. still able to keep that and move forward with it and I think that what what is not physical in his relationship with Ela in that they don't meet I think he takes the good or how much ever it opened him up he takes that good and transfers it into his relationship with his like um the boy who is learning from him i forget his name oh yeah i forgot his name too there's this there's this other great character honestly one of my fave in lunchbox he is he's going to take away Saj like he's he's going to replace sajin basically so for a month he's like his like trainee yeah almost almost like an intern that yeah has to train yeah and he's an orphan he's completely self-made he's he's super what he lacks in skill he really makes up in like the want to work and just the bubbliness and the optimism and Sajan the cynical man is of course really at odds with this personality but he ends up really warming up to him teaching him like the ropes of um his work and he ends up going to his marriage as the only person from his side of the family because this this boy doesn't have a family and Mm. I think that he takes that light that he got from this like letter relationship and he puts it into some this this other relationship that he has that is more like real world I guess yeah no dude that's I hadn't even thought about it that way that's that's really interesting because I think it kind of reveals a difference in like the American filmmaking in that Mm -hmm. meeting meeting Joe Fox didn't just improve Kathleen Kelly's life and meeting Kathleen Kelly just didn't improve Joe Fox's life. It completely revolutionized it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like completely turned their lives upside down, which I think really appeals to like the American audience, like the blockbuster, the action movie and in Uh rom-coms, it has to be like all or nothing. But in a way that the lunchbox is so much more grounded and that these people are real people and they can't like it it seems pessimistic when Sajin says it but the Ela in his like final letter to her but you can't always just be like I'm a new person today uh Mm -hmm. I'm and I don't know I I feel like Ela almost presents that form of herself where or that idea of she did just she packed up in one day and dipped like she she packed up all her things and so it's almost like the lunchbox presents both points of view but in a different way than in you've got mail because when Ela leaves it doesn't feel as like triumphant as Mm -hmm. the final kiss between joe joe fox and kathleen kelly it it feels 
like when I watched it I felt I had this feeling of almost like melancholy yeah of like of like it, it felt like a real possibility that she could fail mm-hmm. it just felt really realistic in that way and I think it so in the way that Ela has this big W and Sajin yeah. it kind of feels like has this big L it almost feels like Sajin is hopeful and that he could turn it around and in Ela's it presents this idea that she could fail but it kind of doesn't matter yeah and that's the lovely part about it and I think that the emotional resonance of her finally leaving this like shitty situation her awful husband is because like when we start that sequence of her moving away it almost mirrors a sequence earlier in the film about this lady's suicide so we both we like she's taking off her jewelry she's taking off all her like important stuff and that was a sequence Mm -hmm. earlier in the film that ended in a lady who ended up killing herself and her baby yeah but because um earlier in the film a a woman commits suicide um like Vidisha said with her child and in a letter from Ila to Sajan she is kind of curious about what she did before she commits suicide and we see her her imagination of the scene in which she takes off all of her jewelry and stuff and then like like Vidisha was saying late it later in the film after Sajan has not arrived to Ila's to them meeting we see her take off all her jewelry and like I was crying and I was scared and I didn't know what was gonna happen but, yeah I was but, shaking in my bed like yeah and but then but then we see her transform and like she's she's not gonna kill herself and her child she's she's gonna leave and she's gonna find a better life whatever that means and I think that is completely gorgeous and beautiful and yeah I think that's like that really tells us the choices that we make on a day-to-day basis yeah I I think that ultimately to me is like the biggest connection between these movies and it's why I stated earlier that the movie just kind of like makes me feel you've got mail kind of just makes me feel like I can go do whatever I want to do in life and they both kind of give me that feeling of Mm -hmm. tomorrow can literally be the day where you go and try to do whatever you dream of, or in the case of Sajin, where you decide that you're not going to change. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, something that just clicked in my head. You know <laughs> I how love to hear Tom it. Hanks, <laughs> our, 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 oh, uh, Joe Fox's girlfriend, and her, her name is Patricia, right? Yeah, something like that, along Patricia. those lines. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She looks like um, the Vanellope character in, in Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, she and Frank, which is Kathleen Kelly's boyfriend, kind of represent that. They kind of represent like the Sajin character where they mm-hmm. don't change and they yeah. just continue to stagnate. And that's not necessarily negative in the case of Sajin. It's just they are kind of like the foil to both of them. That like literally just clicked in my head right now. But anyway, <laughs> um, it, it just makes me feel like tomorrow can be the day where you're a Frank and you decide to just continue in your ways or where you're a Kathleen Kelly and you can literally just turn everything around yeah for good or bad definitely definitely but I think they're too different because I think that Kathleen Kelly did choose love at the end but of course it comes with compromise and at a cost and mm-hmm. I think that's something everyone has to come to terms with because like or do do we have to come to terms do you think that you would compromise your morals for someone that you love compromise my morals or how much how much would you okay how much huh that's difficult because I want to say none Mm -hmm. like I want to I want to say like I would never be with someone whose morals differ differ from mine but I'm not sure I wonder how much love like really makes you go crazy like that and like mm-hmm. compromise yourself yeah I mean because obviously I'm very young I I haven't met anybody where I'm just like I would I would die for you <laughs> but <laughs> that, that's that's always my favorite sentence like I would die for you but would but would I kill my morals for you wow, wow. it's like always the question that comes up Wow, dude, I feel like that completely summarizes passionate love where it's like uh-huh. you would go to the ends of this earth for somebody. But I I think it does just boil down to like a case by case basis. 
like, would I date a Republican? I'm not, <laughs> I would have to say, like, no, you know, but even it, libertarian it, is pushing it. Like, <laughs> uh, it's like, okay, here's the, here's the spectrum is like, would I date somebody who's like gung ho about Joe Biden? I don't know. That's kind yeah. of iffy for me. But, but again, it, it's, it's difficult to know. And it's difficult to, like, it's one thing to say, like, no, I'd never date anybody who's a liberal. Um, but at the end of the day, you're always going to disagree with people on something. And that's mm -hmm. not to be, and I don't like when people use them. They're like, yeah, my boyfriend's racist, but, you know, we just don't I talk still about love politics. <laughs> um, I mean, not to even get too personal on the pod, <laughs> but, but there was somebody in my life who I really, really cared for. I, I have gone through a crisis recently where I'm like, what even is love? So I'll just say care more. <laughs> and I would say that our morals really aligned but we ended up parting ways because we didn't have the same outlook on the future. Mm -hmm. And like, I wanted more of myself and I wanted to build myself up more. And this person was more stagnant. So it's, I feel like it's even less about morals and more just about like direction and uh -huh. dare I say vibes. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What, what's your I, line? Hmm, I would say 40% vibes. 30 oh no 50% morals and 10% what else was it um actually no the way that the place you want to go is so important yeah but hmm that is a hard question that I still haven't like figured the pie chart art for that but I think mm -hmm. that it would differ from person to person definitely yeah. Um, I think that kind of leads into the overarching question of all of this, where how much of that type of stuff do you think you can learn through online texting, emails, mm. letters? How close do you think you can get to somebody? I would say that you can learn their aspirational self, but I mm. think that someone's aspirational self in action is something else that you will have to learn in real life and I think that that is a huge part of it too because and something that something that bums me out about myself as well like I know I have these morals but I know I'm constrained by my insecurities and anxieties and the way that I act and I guess that gives me more that allows me to like think of other people with more grace but I think that your aspirational self that you present that comes out when you're like writing to someone or just purely based on like text I guess mm -hmm. that is different from what you would how you would put those things to action because you could have all these yeah. morals but what 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 about when they're tested very that's so true. And I mean, that that kind of connects directly to the lunchbox in which Saja and mm -hmm. Mike was like, yes, I'll go to Bhutan. Yes, let's link. Like, come on, like, let's go. And then I'll be your as... girlfriend. Like, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, as soon as he got there, he got scared. Yeah. And he didn't act on it. And I think that's so true where, I mean, you can put anything in writing. Mm -hmm. And, but it just comes down to doing it yeah and i think that kind of because something i contend with in these movies and and like you know in covid where like you're meeting people online and trying to mm -hmm. figure things out is like how valuable is meeting in person you know how yeah. like obviously we're human beings and we crave touch and attention <laughs> but I'm like, a lot of person. attention yeah <laughs> for some of us and um <laughs> and I, I just wonder, like, I wonder how you thought mail would, would end if they didn't meet in person, you know? How, mm -hmm. how long can you sustain interest over just text? Do you think? Interesting. Um, I think that, I think we're, I think we're, like, very confined with the way that we think about relationships now, where it's either, like, a friendship 
a relationship or whatever that means Mm -hmm. and like it's it's like you put it you put everything into like very distinct boxes where I think that like just the online world is just changing that like you could have I guess you could just talk to people and that could just oh I don't know I don't know (laughs) what are your thoughts about this (laughs) I don't know either see I know you just said like we put ourselves into boxes of like friendships and relationships but I (laughs) I feel like friendships are easier to maintain online than like a romantic and sexual relationship because take us for example we have met one time in person (laughs) and everything else was through discord through iMessage through like don't say discord we can't just out ourselves here (laughs) we're outing ourselves we talk on discord I don't complain and what about it (laughs) yeah what about it you can't pull up on me we're in a pandemic But I would like to say we're not gamers. We're not gamers. We're, we're not gamers. Before. We are not. I only play Blooms. I've only played Subway Surfer. <gasps> the I, best game ever. I have to flex right now. I have to flex. This is a total okay. non sequitur. For two weeks in a row, I was number one in America for Subway Surfers. No My way. High score, it, I have visual proof that I obviously cannot provide in a podcast, but to Vidisha, I, I only screenshotted the first one. My friend baked Because this happened multiple... Wow, okay. It happened twice. I did it two weeks in a row. I'm about to provide this evidence. You were committed. I My high score is 12,938... Oh, no, 12,938,647. Uh, can you see where it says me for number one in America? Yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. I love that you... Uh, st- is this a screenshot or is it's a your screenshot. app still- Okay. I still have the game. Uh... Okay, but anyway. (laughs) Another recommendation, Subway Surfer. Absolutely. It's having its, like, uptick on TikTok right now. But I was an OG stan. Yeah, like, people, like, talk over it. I've been playing her since, like, sixth grade. Yeah, that was literally the way I managed my anxiety. Like, I would. Yes. It's so relaxing. Yeah, I would. so relaxing. I would just, like like one direction take me home album and mm. subway surfer for a good hour just you're too embarrassed to say we're on discord but you'll out yourself like that <laughs> i had a one direction tumblr so i had a tumblr dude and i only talked about anime on there Our... <laughs> okay hold on hold on to connect back to our topic Look at all this shit that we're telling to, lit- like, technically just strangers who listen to this. I'm yeah, probably like, my mother. I don't know. Yeah, who my else. mom, my friends. Uh, I I'm gonna peddle this podcast like a snake oil salesman online. <laughs> like <laughs> we're going complete Joe Fox, like total Joe Fox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, how well could somebody get to know us via this podcast? Like probably i would say pretty well like i understand that this is just one facet of my character in that i love talking about movies i love talking about how they relate to real life and i don't think of movies as just this like removed object from life Mm -hmm. movies reflect our values as a culture and which is why i think it's like so important for podcasts like this like not to like suck my own dick but (laughs) but like for us to really look at different points of view because yeah. movies say so much about who you are, which is why I don't trust people who Django is their favorite movie. <laughs> and um, But I think they say so much about us. And I feel like, like I'm just willing to say whatever on here. And I feel like people who listen to this could really get a sense of who I am, possibly. Mm-hmm. But then it begs the question, if they met me in person as a fan and say, the, our canon is bigger than yours. It's my favorite podcast. Will you please sign my, <laughs> sign my face? Um, like just we're going straight I'm, up face forehead. Yeah, a face tat of my signature. Um, <laughs> would would I be the same person? And I think that's the root of both of these movies is that they mm-hmm. are different people. My online persona and my real life per- personality. What do you think? I think that goes into this is more than just online in real life. I think that 
we present or different aspects of ourselves come out with different people and different energies. And mm-hmm. I think that nothing is, I think nothing takes away from the other, truly. Very good like, point. you could, I think you could fall in love with the person online, but hate them in real life, just or just mm-hmm. like not have the same energy in real life. But I don't think that takes away from the value of what you developed online. Yeah. Or like the person that you were online or presented to be. This is coming from, I have had a lot of um, online friendships Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a kid. Yeah. Some ended badly. Some were completely okay. But we've moved on from that phase in my life, by the way. But yeah, I I think it's interesting that you bring up that we are not just one person. Mm-hmm. That we have, frankly, an infinite number of facets to ourselves. The I'm going to out myself right now. And um, it's, for example, like if you were to say that I have one online personality, that would just frankly be false. Because yeah. Instagram me and Twitter me are very different. And even within Twitter, I have my main account where I am a flaming homosexual. And then... I have a basketball Twitter account, which I'm not even going to plug. Like, I have an entire Twitter. I argue with people about basketball, about the NBA, the National Basketball Association. And (laughs) if you compared those two Twitters, not the same person at all. Like, you would not even think that I own both of them. And these people who argue with me about the Dallas Mavericks beating the Clippers in the first round, you're insane, by the way. But... They, they would never expect that I would be doing a movie podcast. And mm-hmm. that's so interesting that you bring that up. That like... No, that's, that's so true. Because as a kid, I was on Reddit a lot. And I would, again, like argue with all these people on the internet and have all these heated opinions. But in real mm-hmm. life, I was just this awkward kid in my German class writing all these like long yeah. arguments. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so interesting and like both those parts of myself were so true like I was an awkward kid in the German class but I was also this like very opinionated people on ARP slash pop heads talking about Ariana Grande's sophomore album like wow (laughs) I had flaming opinions about that I got into a lot of fights (laughs) for our listeners that is news to me that that little (laughs) tidbit of information (laughs) no but I think you're so right in that they're both truths neither one is a lie and neither one is more true than the other they're just both true about you Mm -hmm. and it's like Joe Fox is Kathleen Kelly's friend as much as he is her business competitor and as much as he is a capitalist he loves her and she loves him and I think, I think it's so, I, I, it makes me hopeful in that yeah. way. Like you can be everything you want to be. You can be a capitalist mm-hmm. pig. You can do that. You can, be <laughs> <laughs> but you can also love your little indie bookstore woman who frankly dresses like a lesbian. And I'm shocked that she's a heterosexual in the film. But <laughs> That's an issue for another day. <laughs> do you want your 60 seconds on? Yes, I do. <laughs> go go for it. Okay, okay, okay. In this film, as Vidicha has brought up earlier, Kathleen Kelly has a surrogate mother named Birdie. She, Birdie wears a locket with Kathleen Kelly's mother's photo in it. Kathleen and they asked, talk yes. to each other. Yes. Birdie asks the locket questions, she listens to it, and this woman obviously was more close with Kathleen's mom than with her, because they seem to be around the same age. And we never hear a mention of Kathleen's father, only her mother. What I am trying to say is that (laughs) Birdie and Cecilia Kelly, Kathleen Kelly's mom, we're in a lesbian relationship. I have no evidence of this other than the locket and the fact that Birdie stayed in her life even after her mother's death. And also, I a third piece of evidence. Cecilia owns the store. Birdie runs the store. Business partners and lovers? 
this is a thing to hear. So we're taking this as canon. Yeah. I, I, Birdie is a lesbian, and that's that on that. Like, I have nothing else to add. To I think video. that was exactly 60 seconds, too, so. Really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Simmons has nothing <laughs> on me. <laughs> yes, yeah. but I do think that both these films really tell us how sometimes it can fail when you try to combine all these parts of yourself to present to someone else, and sometimes it can work. Of course, this means that you come at a compromise to yourself, that Kathleen Mm -hmm. does, in my opinion, but it is what it is. Yeah. I think the the main thing with both of these movies is that nothing comes easy, you know? Like, they have Mm -hmm. to work at everything, and like I said earlier, Ela and Kathleen have to give up everything to follow their dreams. And it might not work. Like, they might <laughs> fail. But they're trying. And they're following their dreams. As the soundtrack of You've Got Mail wants to remind you a million times, you need to follow your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and what better place to do so than in the capitalistic sewage drain that is New York City? <laughs> Thank you.